Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Alongside this Lenten season, we're, in, we're beginning a new series. Uh, we just finished a number of weeks talking about our identity in Christ. And now we're continuing. If you've been with us for uh, any extended period of time, you'll know that we have been slowly going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are back in the Gospel of Matthew here in chapter 8. And I'm going to read the passage for us this morning in just a moment. But it's interesting that we've just finished what is the manifesto of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We finished the Sermon on the Mount. And now at the beginning of chapter 8, we begin to see what the words of Jesus begin to really look like in the life of Jesus. So if you can follow along with me on the screen, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4 is where we will begin. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's pray. Father, we offer our morning to you, our hearts, our minds, our ears, our eyes. Let us be just available to what your spirit wants to speak to us. And I just pray that as we engage in this conversation of what you're doing with the Sermon on the Mount, what you're really living out of it, I just pray that we might hear that invitation for ourselves. Remove distraction. Relieve us of burden. Meet us with any healing that our hearts desperately might need this morning. And help us to be present to receive what your spirit has for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to imagine this with me. Jesus is on this hillside, and he has been preaching this incredible, the greatest sermon ever told. And he's providing this comprehensive idea for all who are listening of what it really means to live into this kingdom that he will talk about repeatedly throughout his ministry, this kingdom that is breaking into the world. And it's not just a kingdom from the outside, it's the kingdom that is found in Jesus himself. And then he comes down from this hillside and we find ourselves here in chapter 8. And he begins to live out the ministry of the kingdom. He begins to actually follow through with some of the different ideas and paradigms and invitations that he made to those who were listening. And he does it in not a grand gesture or in a grand place. You'll notice at the end of our reading, he was hesitant for anyone to even know. But he does it in small towns and villages that are just along the Sea of Galilee. And here in the first story that Matthew tells, there is this guy that comes with a skin condition and he approaches Jesus. Now, when we hear words like leprosy, we've, we've got modern day understandings of these terms. 
We've got a very specific understanding because of advanced medical studies. We know what leprosy is through and through. The Greek word for leprosy in this setting includes a wide range of skin conditions. It could have been leprosy as we know it, but even if you look often within your own Bible, there'll be a little footnote that says, in the Greek, this could be a number of different skin conditions. The reason I say this is that I think when we read a passage like this, there is a shock and awe factor that comes with a word like leprosy. And it draws all of our attention to it when it really isn't the main thing at all. He has a skin condition. And there's a number of things that it then correlates with and communicates. But Jesus meets him in it. So it's important to recognize that the Greek word traditionally translated as leprosy was used for a variety of diseases. And Jesus then engages with him. And he begins to, to speak to him, and you can sense the compassion by which he's speaking from. The skin condition needed healing. We know that to be true. Simultaneously, we know that there was more at play. Where leprosy might catch our attention, I would actually invite us to turn ourselves to focus on the word clean. Our title for this morning is Make Me Clean. Throughout history, a word such as clean, or in contrast, unclean, has been commandeered by people to stigmatize and marginalize people based on a number of opinions, backgrounds, perhaps even diseases. Regardless, the word clean or unclean has a very interesting association when it comes to the application of people. We don't like things that feel dirty, and therefore we we apply this word unclean or dirty towards things that we don't like. It's both this and that. It's interesting. Mia's picking up words and she's trying to explain things. And she's a pretty clean kid. So she doesn't like when things get dirty or messy or, or anything that gets on, on her hand or whatever it is. So even if water was to end up on her hand immediately, she says dirty. Dirty. I'm like, oh, it's okay, Mia. It's just water. Like, you're you're going to be okay. And she says dirty, 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 dirty. There is this association of something that is not normally there is now here, and I don't like it, therefore it is dirty. And it's simplistic to a degree, but we do this with our day-to-day. We do this with people. Some, somebody or some group that feels other, that feels like it's a different cultural approach to life, we can associate as as dirty or unclean very, very quickly. The word clean and unclean, it's got a very interesting connotation when it comes to people. Richard Beck, he's got this quote that says, on the playground, cooties seem harmless and innocuous, unless you've been on the other end of that game. But sociomoral disgust can quickly scale up in our intensity and become the engine behind the very worst of human atrocities. Now, in our story, we don't know everything about the individual that is being talked about. Simultaneously, it's interesting that there is no name that's given. There is almost like this application of 
disease to identity for the man. And so he's carrying something, he's experienced it probably for a prolonged period of time, and no doubt has been stigmatized by the people that he would call his own. This man has experienced separation. And so today what we're going to be looking at are four contrasting ideas within the story so that we can better understand how this first foray from Jesus into the real world is truly the kingdom of God breaking into the world. It's a humbling scene that we find in verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, it's really easy to rush past this statement. But let's notice what he's saying. For many of us, in a situation like this, in a moment of need that we feel like there's something on our hearts, in our lives, that we want Jesus to do for us, we would maybe experience more along the lines something of doubt. Well, I don't know if Jesus really can do this. I don't know if there's actually the, the ability that Jesus has to change my situation, heal my sickness, deal with the area of life that I feel is broken. I don't know if Jesus really can. We can ask that question. That was not his question, though. His question is not whether or not Jesus is capable of dealing with his sickness. What is he asking for? We're told that, he's all, that Jesus has already been healing people in the region, and this man is convinced that Jesus can help him. What he's not certain about is whether Jesus would do something like that for him. What he's not certain about is Jesus' character. He asks, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There's no question of power, but there is certainly a question of willingness. And this is the first contrasting idea for us to consider. Sometimes it is hard to see God for who he is when we experience the reality of humanity's rejection of who we are. When we have consistently experienced rejection because of some struggle, situation, or malady, because that has been our experience, we think to ourselves and we apply the same response to God. We might even believe that he's powerful, but we do not hold any hope that he might actually be willing. There is a lifetime of people avoiding this man. And he approached Jesus almost expecting rejection to happen again. This is a deeply human response. There is incredible faith within him that Jesus has the power to heal, but you can almost feel him bracing for the rejection that his life had constantly faced. Sometimes the part, part of our challenge in seeing God as compassionate is moving past the fact that we're used to a world that avoids us, that rejects us, that ignores us when we expose the most deep, dark, hurtful, broken pieces of our life. Unclean is not a word we commonly use. But I would say disgust is. 
It's far too common of emotion that we feel either directed towards us or that we direct towards others. Think of it this way. Uh, few of us feel disgust swallowing the saliva in your mouth. This is something that you do constantly. But the second the saliva is expelled from the body, it becomes something foreign and alien. It's no longer saliva, it's spit. Didn't think you'd be talking about spit this morning, I guess. But <laughs> Consequently, although there seems to be little physical difference between swallowing the saliva in your mouth, between spitting it out and quickly drinking it, there is a vast psychological difference between the two acts. <laughs> we don't mind swallowing what is on the inside, but we are disgusted by swallowing something that is outside, even if that something was on the inside only a second ago. All this to say, Richard Beck calls, disgust is a boundary psychology. Disgust marks objects as exterior and alien. And the second saliva leaves the body and crosses the boundary of selfhood, it is foul, it is exterior, it is other. This is the experience of separation that often we face on our lives. That we experience disgust from others when there is any sense of vulnerability presented. And it, and it doesn't have to be even a big thing. It could be a moment of vulnerability. I'm going to try and be vulnerable for once in a long time. And we experience this disgust in return. And what do we do? We retreat back into ourselves. All this to say, there's a lot to learn from the man with leprosy who in his disease and no doubt rejection approaches Jesus and kneels before him. Despite the question of Jesus' willingness, despite the uncertainty of Jesus' character, he still knelt before him. He knows that Jesus is powerful, but he's still asking the question that we all ask. Why would Jesus help me? Why would Jesus deal with me? I'm unclean. I'm unapproachable. But yet he comes to Jesus and he asks for help. Somebody that was deemed unclean. The second contrasting idea I want us to open up is clean versus unclean. Why did Matthew choose this story as the first to be put out to a Jewish audience after the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's because for a Jewish reader, for somebody who knew the storyline of the Old Testament, this story is shattering for their paradigm of clean versus unclean. And it's tied into that word clean specifically. When a man asked to be made clean, he's saying, does, he's saying I am unclean. Fair enough? It's a fair enough assumption. So why use that word? Is he covered in dirt? Probably not. Is there maybe some splotches on his skin? Possibly. But that doesn't mean unclean in particular. And when Jesus responds to him, Jesus doesn't suddenly change the language to say, no, you are healed. He continues with that language of, no, I'm willing you are clean. This is purposeful. 
Jesus rolls with that language because to be clean meant far more than we might understand it to be. Within the Old Testament, there's a very clear list of actual ways that you become unclean according to the Old Covenant. If you're an Israelite reading the book of Leviticus and Numbers, then maybe they're your first and second favorite books of the Bible, uh, there's a very clear way that you become unclean. The rules are very clear. In Numbers chapter 5, it says that the Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites to send away from the camp, this is to send these individuals deemed unclean, anyone who has a defiling skin disease, so a skin condition like our guy in Matthew chapter 8. A discharge of any kind, often this was like fluids or a sexual discharge, something along those lines. Or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. It's touched uh, a corpse or a, a dead piece of skin, something along those lines. Goes on to say, send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they, so they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. Now, Let's pay attention to this text in context of God's longing. God longs for relationship with his creation. In the Old Testament, there is a clear progression of, Jesus, of God coming alongside his creation. He, he names a people to be set apart in Israel. And he longs to be in their presence. And so he provides the architecture and the plans for what would be called the tabernacle. A place where God would dwell and reside. And within that tabernacle would be a place where it would be called the Holy of Holies. Where the presence of God would be the space where the priest would come alongside. It would be beautiful. God wanted to be with his creation. And then amongst the, the building of the tabernacle were laws as such as these. To distinguish that which is unclean so that it would not defile this holy space. And this is in the old covenant. We see this take place over and over again. That there is a clear separation, it seems, between the clean and the unclean. And this became the means by which the Jewish people began to treat one another and live their lives. So this man who had the skin condition would have experienced this separation. To send away from, to not be around others. And that would have been the way that he would have even seen God's relationship with him. In the Bible, God is holy. And within the Old Testament, there is a sacred space around God which is meant to be kept holy. I want you to think of it this way. When we're thinking about the tabernacle, how many of you have ever had to have a, a surgery of some sort? Uh, maybe you've had to go in and actually have something done on the operating table and it's taken place. And you'll notice that, uh, well, one of the things that I was able to do when I was, I think it was like in 2010, is I got to spend two months at a mission hospital in India. And one of the things I got to step into and be part of was I actually got to scrub in on a couple different surgeries. I quickly realized this was probably not for me. So I got to sit in on that and uh, you get perfectly clean for it, right? You have... Uh, covers on everything, brand new clothes, you're washing your hands and your arms thoroughly and carefully. You're not going in there if you're sick and you're snotty and you're, you're not trying to defile the space. It has to be kept clean and separate. It's, it's a place that's set apart for what purpose? 
so that healing and wholeness and restoration can take place. This is the same mentality that is put before the idea of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Even for the priest, before he entered, he had to make sure he had, he had on specific sets of clothes and he was made clean and he entered in and in that space, it was a place where new life would take place and restoration would take place. This is the idea that is being given to us when we think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the idea of clean and unclean. And this is how the Jewish audience would have understood this man's experience and what was taking place. And within the Holy of Holies, there, the word for holy in the Old Testament is this Hebrew word, kadosh. And it's set up as the opposite of unclean. So we get this. We get the idea of a separate space so that it is undefiled for good things to take place. But it isn't meant to just stay there. It's meant to move forward. And we see it take place within the Old Testament. It doesn't remain as it was in Leviticus or in Numbers. It continues forward all the way to the story of Isaiah. In, the, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. If you've never read this portion of the Bible, it's weird. So keep, stay with me. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah then, in the presence of God, has this response. He says, woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt has taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, just a quick sidebar. Seraphim, if you're like, what the heck is that? Uh, animals are representative images of, cre of all creation and every part of creation. It's, it's a winged animal-like creature. Uh, we don't need to go too much into detail about it. But what it's meant to represent is that creation itself in all its totality is declaring holy, holy, holy. And they don't define God's holiness by his moral character, which we are often prone to simply do. God's holiness is displayed that the whole earth is full of his glory. It's that he is the author of all life and beauty and goodness. So, Isaiah has this vision and he's a little, little crazy, and there's a lot of things going on there. But what I want you to pay attention to is his response to being in the presence of God. I would like to think that for myself and in, the, in our, our church spaces, when we have Sunday mornings where it feels like, man, the presence of God is here, there's joy that fills my heart. There's an excitement in my spirit. Man, God is up to something. We're experiencing what God has for us. This was not the experience for Isaiah, who in this moment is in the presence of God, and he says, woe is me. This is the worst possible thing ever. I'm unclean. I can't be in the presence of God. This is going to ruin everything. 
And the story of Isaiah is often to speak of a, of a time and a place in which things are being made new and, and a new story being told. And for Isaiah, he knew the story of Israel, that that which is unclean should be separated. That which is unclean cannot come into the Holy of Holies. That which is unclean cannot be in the presence of God. And he deemed himself, not even by the parameters given in Leviticus, unclean. There was no skin condition. There was no fluid discharge. There was no touching of a dead body. This was simply... This was simply him saying, my lips are unclean. I have spoken most likely with selfishness or with greed or with hate towards another. And he knows that even that would be deemed unclean in many of the ways that he had grown up. And he said, woe is me. And I want you to see what the response is in that moment. That God does not run away but actually comes closer takes the coal that he probably thought is going to incinerate me on contact, presses it to his lips, and he deems him clean. There had to be a shifting that would take place to go from this picture of life, to, uh, from death to life. In many ways, there was a thought of how holiness interacts with our sin. Somehow, that sin would be the thing that would contaminate God's holiness. But I think we're given a different idea. Because when we look at Jesus, and we look to the story in Matthew chapter 8, we see a different picture being painted. Jesus is coming down off the hillside into the hustle and bustle of daily life in the fishing village of Galilee. And the first story about the Sermon on the Mount shows us what happens when the kingdom of God breaks into the world. This, is, this, that the, this idea of the Sermon on the Mount isn't simply a nice sentiment of a future promise, but it is the present breaking into reality. It's bringing life where death would seem to prevail. It's healing where there's pain, and it's nearness where there's separation. This is a story about an un unclean man with a skin disease who for however long he's been deemed unclean has been barred from the temple. He hasn't been allowed to be in the Holy of Holies. He doesn't know what it's like to be in the presence of God. Not only that, he's kept separate from his people. He's He's banished from his community. He doesn't know what it is to be around others. We can also probably assume that he hasn't even experienced touch for an extended period of time of his life, that this skin condition had become his identity as a whole. There's, there's this idea called touch starvation that even just talks about the absence of touch for a human being has significant physical effects and psychological effects, stress and, and our hormone regulation, but even just the way that we might carry the burdens of life is alleviated often by this touch of another. This man had none of it. And his identity that he held on to was simply that he was unclean. And then Jesus sees him before him. And I want you to picture 
how groundbreaking this moment is. He's not by himself either. There's most likely others around. Others of Jewish heritage that would have looked upon this man and immediately deemed him unclean, separate. He should not be here. But yet he kneels before Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response to him in words is, I am willing, you are clean, but I also want you to see the action because Matthew takes special care. It's almost like he slows down the story, he zooms in on this moment, and Jesus extends his hand and he touches the one who had not been seen or touched or received for quite some time. Jesus is the holiness of God embodied, and he did not flee. He did not separate himself. In fact, he went directly into the mess. He touched that which humanity would deem unclean. And he did not just touch it and provide sympathy or pity. He provided transformation and healing. Jesus is not intimidated. He moves right towards it. He extends his hands and he says, not only am I able, thank you for believing in my power, but I am willing to do, this is actually my purpose, to make you clean. There is so much of our life in which we might deem others unclean or separate because of the things that they've done, maybe just things have happened to them. And often the ways in which we deem others unclean are the ways that we deem ourselves the same. The words that we've said, the gossip we've shared in, the sentiment that we've held, even if it's just to ourselves, when looking at another, thinking about another. And unclean might feel like too dramatic of a word, but let's simply think about it even as lesser than. Not as good. Doesn't match up. Jesus comes to not simply tell us good things about how the kingdom changes the world. He comes to change it. And not simply with a good idea or like try harder, but with his very presence. Because the holiness of God, the presence of God, was never intended to be separate from his creation. Where the Old Testament builds the tabernacle for the presence of God to occupy it. The arrival of Jesus, the declaration of heaven, marks you and I as the place where the presence of God dwells. So think about it this way then. Every single time that you have felt unclean, unworthy, falling short, as if you are marked by something that is not good, the presence of God has not been far from you. It has been drawing near to you, within you, touching the very things that you would wish for no one else to see. Not, not 
simply to comfort or to make you think about it or to make you feel bad or to point it out. That's not who Jesus is. It was to make you clean. The very first thing that Matthew tells the people of Israel, the Jewish audience in which he is writing, out of the Sermon on the Mount where the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, he's telling them that the kingdom of God is not simply breaking into the world, he's breaking the way that you live in the world. He's breaking the, the separation and the tribalism and the, and, and the harm that you do to each other by the way that you think and treat one another. He's breaking the impressions and, and the guilt and the shame that we hold to ourselves, that we put ourselves down, we make ourselves lesser. He's breaking all of that because we are not defined <coughs> by things done to us or by things that we have done. We are defined simply by the presence of God that invades the world and wants to occupy your very being, providing the healing, wholeness, and making you clean truth that we desperately need. We need to have our world broken into. We have so many ways in which we have created an architecture and infrastructure by which we think the world operates. And often when we do it by our own strength and our own paradigms, there are those that we have put on the outside and those we've kept on the inside. And Jesus is declaring by his actions and by his words that that is not his way where you would look to keep others separate and unclean, I have reached out and touched and desired for them to be seen as one of my children because that is who they are. And then even with the way that we've orchestrated our, our world paradigms, we've created structures where we put ourselves outside of the good. We've, we've all done this. We, we do this so often. I make a mistake and we think to ourselves, well, God must, must be ashamed of me. God must not love me anymore. God must be really disappointed with me. And in many ways, every time we say those words, we are marking ourselves unclean, unclean, unclean. And we're saying it over and over again, almost to, like convince ourselves And Jesus wants the kingdom to break into our world and for us to hear, I make you clean. And that does not change because of the things that you do or the things that are done to you. I have made you clean. You are forgiven not by your strength, but by mine. You are healed by my power, not by yours. You are made clean by my touch, by, not by anyone else's. We need to invite Jesus to break into our world. And here's the thing with the breaking into of our world. It hurts. Breaking hurts. And it's often why we don't invite Jesus into the spaces that we know he's going to do something with it. 
we section off the areas that feel like, okay, Jesus can hang over here because he'll probably give me a pat on the back because I did, did it pretty well this week. And we keep this area separate because we think to ourselves, well, I can't bring that to Jesus just yet. It's not good enough. It will never get good enough until we bring it to Jesus. It will never get healed or whole until we bring it to Jesus. It has to start there. And it takes incredible honesty. And ultimately, this is repentance. This is the posture that we're asking and talking about in Lent. The path I have been going, the world I have been creating, the narrative I have been telling is no longer the one that I want to walk down. I want to walk down the way of Jesus. And that means pulling myself down from this path to this one. And it's not easy. It means bringing our most vulnerable selves, every bit of our being, to Jesus. The holiness of Jesus blurs the distinction, bringing clean and unclean into contact. I want you to know that Jesus is not intimidated or threatened by your sin. Jesus is not disappointed or filling you with shame because of your mistakes. Jesus is just waiting for us to receive the gift of his healing and wholeness that he is offering each and every day. Because notice, the leper may have come to Jesus, but it was Jesus who extended his hand. It was Jesus who closed the distance. You know the things that you don't want anyone else to know about or to hear. The things that you think to yourself, no one else, no one can fix this. It's beyond repair. I want you to hear, hear my heart in this. Jesus is not intimidated by that sin, by that failure, by that fault. But Jesus wants you to find healing. This morning, we're going to take a moment right now. We're going to pray. But what I want you to do in the midst of this moment of prayer is I want you to think to yourself, what are the ways that I have pushed people to the outside or I have made it so even myself is deemed unclean, unworthy? Worship team, you can join me at the front. So let's pray. And if you feel comfortable, would you extend your hands with me? I almost feel like sometimes it's this physical representation of giving away. Giving away the shame or the guilt that we might be holding on to. Giving away that condition of our heart that we would say makes us unclean. Giving away the, the ways in which we might have harmed others with the, with the walls we've put up. Or the rejection that we've we've displayed. We need to give that away. It's more than we can bear. So Jesus, we, we come before you and we ask for your help. Maybe the, the one thing that we can truly learn from the man with the skin condition 
was that he came before you and he knelt. He submitted himself to you. So we come before you this morning and we surrender and we submit ourselves to you. And for some in the room, I just pray that even if they believe in your power, that they might actually trust in your character. That they might have a revelation of your compassion. For those in the room that are are feeling as if their sin might contaminate or harm that which is good in the world. Thank you, God, that your holiness is contagious. That it comes within us and it begins to transform us. So in this posture of our hands open, I pray, Holy Spirit, take take the burdens that are being held here the honest, vulnerable declarations of saying, this isn't, this isn't the way I want to live. This isn't the, the path I want to go. I, I, I want to I see it go down a different way. I want a different story. Those declarations that are in our hands, Father, we just release them to you. Alleviate that burden. And then Jesus, with those hands still open, I pray, would you fill them with your strength, with your power, with your healing, with your wholeness. Make us clean. Touch our hearts. Holy Spirit, I just pray against that, that tentacle of fear that just feels so deeply played in some of our hearts. It's like this fear of I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it again. It's going to happen again. I don't want to why even bother? Thank you Jesus that your mercies are new every day. That your presence doesn't leave us nor forsake us. Pray against that feeling of shame that would mark us as as unclean. That would cause us to be separated and isolated and away from your presence. We don't even want to pray. We don't want to talk to you. We don't want to look at you because we feel so ashamed. Spirit of the living God, break into our world and break that which we wish to hold us down. Make us clean. Touch our hearts. Touch our wounds. Touch our conditions and make us clean. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.